Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. We are in early February, which is a season in Oklahoma. I don't know if you agree with me, Dave, but pretty tough for beef cows. It's a supplementation time. Most range type grasses are pretty low in quality. Protein and energy are lacking from what cows basically need um, to kind of maintain their body weight. And in many cases, they're preparing to calve or spring calving cows are preparing to calve or um, or they've already calved. So cows need some sort of supplemental feed. And occasionally our supplements contain ingredients that producers have questions about. And one of those is urea. Okay. So today, as you have you heard, I invited Dr. Dave Lawman to help me explain urea in cattle supplements because it can be kind of complicated, right, Dave? It can be it kind can of be for sure. Yeah. So uh lots of nuance, as you would say. Right. Lots of nuances. Yes. So welcome back, Dave. Good work. Uh, yes, welcome. He's a Dave is an endowed professor and extension beef cattle specialist at Oklahoma State University. He focuses primarily on production of beef cows and stalker calves with an emphasis on grazing. And so we are going to talk about urea. So, Dave, just to start, can you explain urea in its simplest form? What basically is it? Yeah, so Dana, I want I want to go back to your first comment for just a second, and that is, you know, it's time of year, a tough time of year for cows. Think about what happened two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I I don't know about all, throughout the state, but for a good part of the state, uh, for a couple of two or three days, it was thirty two degrees, raining, and the wind was blowing like crazy, and that's about as tough a day as as I could imagine for a cow right, and their calves. And so, and then that was followed by a few days of zero degrees with negative wind chill. Um, and in the midst of all that, we had, some people had snow, some people had ice. And uh, so our cows slipped considerably over that, about that three week period in body condition. The cows were out grazing, standing forage and getting supplemented, slipped quite a bit. Uh, during that period, and I can see why. Um, and then, if you think about the from the forage perspective, it's freezing, it's thawing, it's getting hit with rain, snow, and so it's leaching nutrients during those periods. And so, you know, January and February is the toughest time of the year, absolutely, to supplement a cow. So it's a challenge for producers to find that, you know, that balance between expense and cost-effective, you know, to optimize performance in their animals. So uh, about urea, you know, the the simplest way I think to think about urea is uh, it is a non-protein nitrogen product uh, that can be utilized to stimulate ruminal ammonia in a ruminant animal. Uh, So what do we mean by non-protein nitrogen? Well, you know, most of our protein sources used in the beef cattle industry, especially in Oklahoma, are going to be protein sources of nitrogen. So true protein molecules, soybean meal, cottonseed meal, dried distillers grains are very common here in this state. And those are all actual, you know, amino acids linked together, which form proteins. And those proteins are, they're basically deaminated, meaning the nitrogen portion is removed by the bacteria in the rumen. And those bacteria then 
use the nitrogen that it, it's converted to ammonia and then the room bacteria utilize the ammonia to propagate. I mean, they, they reproduce and then that bacteria is flushed out of the, out of the rumen into the, uh, into the intestinal tract and, and absorbed from there and provides about 85% of the protein that a cow on grass needs to, you know, survive and to produce milk and to uh, make a, a fetus gain weight. So now you hear why I invited Dave to explain this, because it can be kind of complicated, right? It can be, think about they use, they use protein in the rumen, but they also flush their bacteria down into the intestine and use protein there too. So right. Exactly. It's, it's an amazing it, system. It is, is incredible. It really is. Um, and they, you know, when you're using a non-protein nitrogen feed source, you, you basically skip the protein portion of that process. And so it doesn't have to be deaminated and turned into ammonia. It's going to hit the rumen and become ammonia right away. Okay, or very, very rapidly. And so that's a big difference in the use of a urea product, a, or i.e. non-protein nitrogen, compared to a cottonseed meal or distiller's grains or soybean meal or wheat mids, as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. the, the rate of uh, conversion of that nitrogen into ammonia, much quicker with urea. So on most cattle diets, we kind of have a little balance of both, right, Dave? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you would, unless you're just, your total protein source is urea. But yep. for most part, when you have, I mean, I guess I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but when you have a supplement that contains urea, you have a little bit of that digestion, non-protein nitrogen in the room, but there is some that, you know, is more of a natural type digest. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's exactly right. So let's just say cottonseed meal, for example. Uh, cottonseed meal has a portion of that protein that's very rapidly uh, converted in the nitrogen in that protein is rapidly converted. It has another portion of the protein that's sort of intermediate in the timing and another portion of that protein source that that takes a while. And so it might be uh, uh, up to 18 or even 20 hours before it's before it's actually uh, converted into that rumen ammonia. So that's kind, of, kind of, yeah, that's, that's a good point. It, it serves to sort of give you a steady supply mm -hmm. over time. And that's, that's why we can feed those products on an interval basis and get away with it. So what products will producers see urea in, Dave? I, the first thing that comes to mind is, is a kind of a, a processed kind of liquid type supplement, but there are other supplements we see it in. Yeah, for sure. Um, liquid supplements, very common to see considerable amount of urea as the protein source, not the only source, but but a very considerable amount of those products would, would contain substantial amount of urea. Uh, pressed molasses or pressed blocks, um, cooked molasses blocks, you know, those are other uh, products available that would generally speaking, have at least some uh, urea as a protein source. Sometimes they'll see, like, if we think about the language on a feed tag, it'll sometimes say, you'll see 
tubs that are all natural. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that, and I, and it seems to be that refers to tubs without urea or a product without urea. That seems to be what I have found. Um, but you can just look on the tag and see it there if you're, if you're curious, but Dave, why do you, why do you feel like urea is added to some of these products? Why is it present there? Why do feed companies utilize it? Yeah, well, several reasons, but one would be that generally speaking, it's inexpensive source of nitrogen. So protein, again, pro, true protein is a source of nitrogen uh, to the room animal. Yes, true protein also supplies energy, but, but when you're talking about low quality forage, meaning low protein forage, you know, what we're after, the first priority is to make sure we don't have a protein gap and supply adequate protein. Well, when you're talking about urea, really what you're talking about is is the nitrogen. It's an inexpensive source of supplemental nitrogen. That would be reason number one. Um, Reason number two is if you value the convenience of a self-fed product like a tub um, or a liquid supplement or a block, it's in the liquids in particular, it's very difficult to suspend a plant-based protein product, soybean meal, distillers, grains, um, you know, cottonseed meal. It's, it's a liquid and you're talking about a solid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so those two don't go very well together. Now, you know, it's different in a block because you can, you can make that formulation and then form the block. And so, you know, a lot of those products will be a combination of a plant source mm-hmm. and, and perhaps some urea. So those would be two of the main reasons. Dana. Yeah, that's why they would see them. I think for most part, I mean, they're if you can, it's just a cheaper source. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a cheaper source of nitrogen and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it will remain in suspension in a liquid form. You're going to see it out there. It's going to be part of the product. There may be some negativity as far as that goes, Dave. So you want to talk about why there might be some negative feelings about the use of urea if you know if some people fear it maybe because maybe they don't in my opinion understand completely why we use it the uh, you know research that has been conducted comparing a let's say a uh, a feed product that's primary nitrogen source or protein source is urea compared to a plant-based protein source like cottonseed meal, for example, would be very common here in Oklahoma. Most of those studies, the plant-based source excelled or generally cattle performance uh, was better with the plant-based source. And and that's in cases where the animals were consuming low-quality forage. Uh, and so, you know, if you're going to compare them head to head, I mean, that, the, the data is very clear on that. Now, yeah, there are a lot of nuances to that. But generally speaking, if you're going to compare them head to head, the plant based source is going going to win. Now, then we start looking at the nuances, uh, the further apart the feeding intervals the better the plant-based source is going to look. Okay, the closer the intervals, the little the little better uh, mm-hmm. the the non-protein nitrogen source 
looks uh, in in the research data. But you know the, the the other nuance that we talked about a little earlier, Dana, is that you know in the uh, kind of the meta-analysis or literature reviews on comparing the plant-based sources to the urea or non-protein nitrogen sources, largely supplementing non-protein nitrogen to low-quality forage does increase forage intake, and it does increase forage digestibility, just not as much as the cottonseed meal or the the plant-based source. Mm-hmm. That's what all that data says. Well, I mean, I think what you're you're talking about is producers need can I if they can I identify what is your feeding program? Are you feeding an interval? Are you interval feeding? Yeah. Or are you providing a product where they're they're being being fed or they're consuming every day? Um, that's the difference. So if you're interval feeding, urea isn't going to work right as well. You know, I think, yeah, like three days a week, for example. Yeah, yeah. I think you'll find very few products, uh, cube or or some right. sort of a textured feed that would be based on non-protein nitrogen because that you know, I mean, we talked about it earlier. If you've mm-hmm. got a a product that is nearly immediately or within the first couple of hours after feeding is converted to rumen ammonia. And then the rest of the day, there's no more source for rumen ammonia, but that cow's still out there grazing. You know, at some point in time, your animal performance is going to start to suffer because they don't have that that 24-7 supply of, of nitrogen to help facilitate things there in that rumen fermentation. Yeah, on the flip side, then if they're consuming like a liquid or a tub where they're getting just a little bit Okay, maybe we don't know always how often they're going to those supplements, but we would assume more often than every third day. And so then that supply is there um, for that. So there's your convenience. I mean, generally multiple times a day, you know, right? anywhere from two times a day to maybe four or five times a day. And it's probably more frequent the smaller the pasture is because, you know, the access... uh, to to the uh, to the product, right? So there are some limitations from a urea standpoint. So um, we want to use it in the correct type of diets to get the best performance, like we just talked about. But what other kind of limitations? Um, you talked about young animals earlier, um, young ruminants. Yeah, that works better. You know, works better in yearlings and above. Your yearlings mm-hmm. and older. Uh, because their their rumen is well developed and and they just have the capacity to convert uh, that urea to uh, microbial protein and and digest it. The other thing um, we probably should mention is that well the frequency is a, mm-hmm. is a big is a big deal, um, and you can improve urea or non protein nitrogen utilization by making sure they have more frequent access. What else, Dana? What else? Well, okay. So I guess I'll ask this question because I'm not clear on it. So is there any limitation to using it with pregnant animals or breeding animals? Is there any limitations to that? I've had that question before. I mean, not, not unless they overconsume. Okay. I mean, maybe, yeah, there, there would be if you had very little to no control of how right. much they consumed of it. So you can get into 
urea toxicity, you know. Yeah. I mean, most of the products are developed with that in mind. Right. It should be fairly, should be fairly safe. I guess the one thing we did, we haven't talked about is, you know, some form of fermentable carbohydrate helps. The um, addition of fermentable carbohydrate improves the bacteria's efficiency of, of utilizing that non-protein nitrogen. Okay, and so the extreme case of that is a feedlot diet where it's 80 to 85 percent, basically, of fermentable carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Right? So they very efficiently can utilize urea or non-protein nitrogen in those diets. And then, and then the other extreme is a cow that's out grazing low quality forage and the carbohydrate is not very high quality and not very rapidly fermented and and therefore uh, non-protein nitrogen is not very well utilized not as efficiently utilized and the older data suggests that maybe you know the utilization in a case where they have very little to no rapidly fermentable carbohydrate uh, the NPN utilization might be as low as 50 percent but if you supplement a little bit of fermentable carbohydrate, you can improve that to 60 or 65%. If you'll provide somewhere between half a percent of body weight to 1% of body weight of a, of a let's say, a grain source or wheat mid, you know, distilled grain combination or something like that, uh, you might be able to improve it uh, substantially more, 75 to 80% non-protein nitrogen utilization. Yeah. So if you think about cows on a low quality forage, the digestive rate is very slow. Like it, it's yeah. very slow. And that's why we, the urea is not utilized very well is because it's just not enough energy in the system. Okay. Versus when corn or, you know, some sort of starchy feed is utilized, maybe not so much starch, but higher energy. You know, that's why they combine a lot of these products with molasses. Uh, You know, molasses is a rapidly fermented and available uh, carbohydrate source. That's why that combination goes well together. But still, you know, the, uh, the, the amount of molasses they consume, you know, would be important because we're only getting a pound a day of the, uh, let's say, dry matter of the liquid supplement you know, that's probably not going to be enough of a fermentable carbohydrate to maximize the efficiency of the non-protein nitrogen source. It would take more like another three, four, five pounds of a of some sort of a uh, concentrate source to, to maximize the use of that non-protein nitrogen, at least as, as high as you could get it in that situation. Yeah, if that was your goal. If right. that was your goal, well, yeah. Yes. So what if an animal consumes too much? So of a urea type product, I guess a situation would be maybe urea is used in the agronomy industry. We apply urea and that sort of thing. So that type of urea chemically, it's not exactly the same, but it's a salt. I don't feel like we're going to get a toxicity situation from a feed very often, but cattle may pick it up in a field, which we have... That's very easily done. And it's salt. Um, they will consume it as such. And that is a quote from Greg Heifel, um, my predecessor, um, someone we've worked with, both you and I have worked with for years. You know, as any toxicity would occur, 
we would see some distress and it would be very it would be a quick toxicity situation yes. Being, if, you, if you if you feel like something like this has happened think about the environment those calves were in cattle were in and and what if there any any product had been applied to a field maybe they were close to that sort of thing producers might be wondering well how will i know if there's urea in my supplement you will look at it will be on the feed tag right dave it will it will say something like including not more than 10 percent crude protein equivalent from non-protein nitrogen like yes. dave said earlier non-protein nitrogen is that urea product i think what we would say dave to kind of close out is bottom line urea fed in the proper amounts is an acceptable and cost-effective feed ingredient for some ca classes of cattle. I mean, it's something to consider. It's out there. There's very reputable companies that sell products that contain urea, and it and it's in many in most cases, ninety nine percent of cases, it's a very safe product to utilize. Yeah, and I, you know, I think uh, in our uh, fact sheet we have available, Dan, in a chapter in the Beef Cattle Manual, there's an extensive discussion about the nuances that we talked about. Um, and, you know, another one I just thought of, Dana, that we, we have mentioned here while we've been discussing this, but, you know, those NPN products work better in cases where the gap between the forage protein and the animal's requirement is narrow. So if you have an 8% requirement, like in a gestating cow, mm -hmm. and a 7% forage, a convenient NPN product might work really well. Okay, in that case, because there's not much room, there's not much of a gap. If you have 3% protein forage and a 10% requirement in a lactating cow, you have a huge protein gap. And to put an NPN source or urea source out there and think you're going to fill that gap with that and be satisfied with animal performance is probably not very realistic. Well, fairly certain it's not going to be yeah. realistic. Now you could use the the NPN product or the you know self-fed product with NPN in it to make sure those animals have something when you can't get to them or if you can only go check on them twice a week and provide a concentrate feed right. or something. And that would be a nice combination probably or or at least it would it would work to um, you know, to, to get you through the winter, but to I, think that by itself, it would, it would suffice is not realistic. Th that's an excellent example. I think if we think about all cows, like we said, tough time of year, this is a tough time of year, low quality forage. This is not the time of year to rely solely, I think on an NPN type product. I don't, I just don't think even if your cow is gestating or or lactating or without a cap. I mean, I think that that, that gap is really big yeah. this time of year as the sole. Yeah, especially we're talking about three, four, five percent protein. Right. And sure. but but in the fall, maybe mm -hmm. September, October, maybe when our forage has not been weathered and, and is a little bit higher quality, we can maybe some producers may be able to get by with that yeah. um, for a period of time. So and then yeah. if they need to maybe supplement it with a plant-based source. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As, as forage quality goes down as winter season progresses and or as the animal's requirement goes up as calving approaches or mm -hmm. if they're already lactating. I always appreciate having expert opinions on these complex 
topics because this is a kind of a complex topic to discuss these questions they come through all the time just like trickle in i think that's what we could say about urea type yeah. questions they trickle yes. in all year round um they so trickle in a lot more when feed is extremely expensive that's right yeah so i will have some resources in the show notes if you have any questions um if you're if you're considering you know different types of supplements give your county educator a call and they can either help you or get you in touch with dave or area livestock specialists such as myself Thanks so much for joining me, Dave. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us, listeners. We're glad to be back after our extended break. Really enjoy doing this podcast. And so we'll keep keep uh, several topics coming to you this spring. Thank you again for joining us and have a great week. <laughs>